What's up, y'all? Welcome to the first episode of our new series where we will be interviewing various people that work in sports. Our first ever interview is with Jared Sandler. Jared Sandler is a radio radio play-by-play broadcaster and pregame and postgame host for the Texas Rangers, a sports talk host at 105.3 The Fan, a TV play-by-play for Fox Sports Southwest. He also has his own YouTube channel. Um, so what made you decide to become a sports broadcaster? Well, uh, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I It, it probably goes back to growing up. Um, I, I grew up in a family that was very sports centric. I was the, I am the youngest of three. My brothers are, are 10 and 12 years older than I am. So uh, needless to say, they, they had a decent amount of influence on what uh, I, I did at those, uh, you know, those stages of my life early on, but it was never like I was forced into sports. I, I loved it. That's what I want to do. Maybe I, you know, more I think of it, maybe I pushed them to be like all sports all the time because that's what I wanted. Uh, so Sports is kind of what I knew early on. It, it, it developed into, uh, you know, a, a passion. And then from that into like a, just a, a burning passion where it became more than just being a sports fan. I, you know, I really started to believe in, in the impact of sports and uh, the way sports, uh, you know, fit into society and stuff like that. And so when, you know, like a lot of people in my industry, when, you know, our, our playing days are up, you kind of think, all right, well, I, I like this sports stuff, so how can I – what's my place? Where, where can I fit in? And uh, The first thing I thought about was journalism and went to, to college at USC with the idea that I wanted to give that side of it a try, and uh, I've been fortunate to never really have to change course. I've been able to trick enough people to, to give me jobs and to let me keep doing this, and uh, so that's been been you know a, a real treat and a real treasure, but you know it, it really – it goes back to just – developing a love for sports early on and then uh, giving the broadcasting thing a shot and, and putting my best foot forward and really kind of attacking it and uh, approaching it the same way I approached playing sports, you know, putting in a lot of work and breaking down film and, and you know, trying to figure out how I can improve on a daily basis. And uh, that's a process that I've not uh, forgotten or, or, or pushed to the side. It's something I still do every single day. And, and hopefully it's what's going to allow me to, to continue to, to broadcast for as long as I, I want to have a professional career because it's something I love and uh, I, I couldn't see myself doing anything other, other than what I'm doing now. You mentioned the impact of sports. Do you recall a certain impact um, when you were growing up or maybe it was in your professional career? That just- yeah, that's a great question. I think the first the first time it really hit me and then, you know, I could probably retroactively go back and, and recognize things that maybe I was too young to notice uh, as they were unfolding, but was nine 11. And um, you know, I was, I was just old enough to really have a lot of memories of nine 11. Uh, I was uh, 11 years old at the time, 12 years old at the time. And so what I remember about it, and that was, you know, the, I think I was alive for like the Oklahoma city bombing, stuff like that. But like that was, I mean, you know, that was unparalleled, you know, what happened and the devastation and the shock and the way that, you know, that this country and really parts of the world pressed the pause button was uh, surreal. And as best as I recalled at that time, uh, that was the first time that like sports had just been put on hold. I mean, it was just like, we don't care. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, for instance, like the, the Boston, 
the Boston Marathon bombing, you know, as like tragic as that was, it's not like the whole country shut down. You know, for this, the whole country shut down. And I remember when when sports started to, to you know, I guess unfold and, 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 and get back kind of into its rhythm, there was a way more patriotic feel uh, to the environments, you know, whether it was in New York, the Northeast, closer to, you know, the, the, the point of impact, or even on the West Coast. Uh, you know, it seemed like the national anthem came with a little more pride and people would run out with the flag, which wasn't as much of a thing. Uh, and some of that stuff has maintained other stuff, other parts of that has waned a bit. But what really struck me was that was also at the height, uh, the, the best modern years of the Yankees Red Sox rivalry. And those teams hated each other. Now there's a rivalry, I guess, but the Red Sox and Yankees rivalry is way, way more gentle than it was then. And the Red Sox right now aren't good enough for it to be like a strong rivalry. They were both really good fighting for the same thing, players that did not like one another. I mean, it was it was must-see TV. And I remember, obviously, because New York was, you know, such a – not that, you know, the whole country was impacted, but New York more than any other city or state. Uh, and I remember Red Sox fans, the next time those two teams played against one another, had, you know, shirts the, – the I Love New York shirt was like a – I guess a popular shirt back then. I don't know if people still wear them, but they had shirts that said, we love New York. And it's just like, I get chills even relaying this to you thinking about how, uh, how, you know, Red Sox fans at the height of this incredibly intense and passionate rivalry that as much as, you know, we can say, Hey, at the end of the day, it's a game and rivalries are fun. Unfortunately, there are people who carry rivalries out beyond just the game. And, you know, they go and, they start fights in the parking lot or this or that, or things are said, or gosh, that guy's a Red Sox fan. What a, you know what, or this guy's a, 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 a Eagles fan, you know, whatever, like these rivalries, you know, some people take them far, but you could see that this was bigger than that. Uh, and then, you know, a month later, month and a half later, when the, the Yankees were in the world series and president Bush throughout the first pitch, just the roar of the crowd and um, politics aside, like it didn't matter. Like this was the, the president of our country, the, the leader of, of the United States of America. And un- unfortunately, I think we're a little more divided right now. Uh, but that was a time where everyone was, you know, even if just for a snapshot together. And then you see, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, the impact the Saints had, after the Boston Marathon bombings, the impact the Red Sox had. And it just, and, and COVID, you know, how, what were people saying? I, I just, I, we need sports as a distraction or thank gosh for sports to distract me from this. And whether it's on a big level like that or a minor level, maybe like I've had a bad day, you know, the, the country's fine, but I've had a bad day, but I got to look forward to this sporting event at night that just distracts me for two, three hours. I just think sports has a way to impact society uh, on a large scale and a small scale, the way that a uh, few other activities uh, have the ability to do. So how long have you been in the business of journalism, as you mentioned? Well, I guess professionally since 2011, that was, well, I take that back. I, I did some stuff when I was in college at USC. I really started in 2007, my freshman year at USC, when I got the chance to start broadcasting USC sporting events, uh, beginning with football in that fall and volleyball and then basketball and baseball and getting to do some water polo and soccer and uh, even did some roller hockey then and 
Uh, that's where I got my start. Uh, then got to do some stuff for ESPN radio at 710 uh, AM in, in LA. Uh, and then did some stuff uh, in Brainerd, Minnesota in the Northwoods league after my junior and senior or in between my junior and senior years of college. Uh, I had some internships prior to that at the ticket in Dallas and, and with the Texas Rangers, but then professionally, you know, post-college, real-life job. The first job I had was in the summer of 2011 uh, for the Great Falls Voyagers, a minor league baseball team, a part of the Chicago White Sox system. So I guess since 2011, uh, you know, if you consider a, a college athlete's college career is, you know, the amateur side and they go pro, you know, the minute they sign that contract and college is in the rearview mirror, uh, that would be uh, that would be for me 2011, that first job after graduating in Montana. Um, what is your favorite broadcasting moment that you've been a part of? Ooh, uh, there are probably a few. The first one that jumps out to me is, uh, July 7th, 2015. That's the, the date of the first ever major league baseball game. I got a broadcast in a play by play capacity. Uh, I had done, I, I joined the Rangers that year to do the pre and post with the idea that I would be the fill in on the play by play side. And that was always a dream, not just, you know, doing play by play for one of the major sports at the highest level. Uh, you know, baseball had been the, the sport that I'd probably dedicated the most time to. Not not as much by choice as just the way that it kind of worked out. Uh, but, you know, being able to do it for my favorite team, my hometown team was special. Uh, and years before, when my dad was driving me to, to that aforementioned opportunity in Brainerd, Minnesota, we were making the drive from Los Angeles to Brainerd after I, I graduated or not graduate after I wrapped up my uh, junior year of college. He picked me up in L.A. instead of driving to Dallas. We went to Minnesota and uh, I, he gave me a book by Jim Nance called Always By My Side, which is about Jim Nance's career and also talked about his relationship with his dad and how the second uh, you know, second, uh, I guess, part of his dad's life he kind of dedicated to bringing him to all these places and events that he got to broadcast the Super Bowl, the masters, the final four, et cetera. Uh, and I, I finished the book and I looked at my dad and I kind of made an empty promise of if I ever get a broadcast a major league da- a game, uh, you know, I, I want you right next to me for that first game. And uh, thankfully the Rangers uh, allowed me to fulfill that, that dream, that promise uh, they didn't give me that game for that reason. But when I knew that I was getting that game, I asked him if it would be possible for my dad to be up there for that game. And he was, and, uh, my dad's meant a ton to me. He's sacrificed so much to give me opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, it wasn't always easy. I didn't grow up with, uh, you know, a silver spoon. We didn't, you know, money was a, a daily concern. Uh, and, uh, I know a lot of my dad's choices, even if I didn't realize it then, were geared towards uh, my brothers and I, uh, my brothers and me, and not uh, for whatever, you know, would have been best for him necessarily. Uh, and it's something I'll, I'll never forget. And I'm, I'm really glad that I got to share that moment. I know it was a special moment for him, which means a ton to me, but it was also a really special moment for me, not only to be able to, to broad, you know, that was my major league debut. Uh, my, I never got the chance to do it as a player. So that was my major league debut. And to be able to share that with my dad was uh, incredibly special. So how can now going from your first moment and now it's five years, can you describe how COVID affected your ability to broadcast games as that was during the time during spring training, correct? Yeah. So we were, I was actually, 
watching the Mavs game with some buddies. It was a Wednesday night. And in Arizona, we don't get the Mavs games locally. So it was a nationally televised game. We didn't have to go to a sports bar to watch it. We could watch it at our house uh, where they put us up. And uh, all of a sudden, they come back and, like, breaking news. And, you know, the NBA season's getting shut down for the time being. And so we knew at that point, like, if important NBA games are going to be put on pause, meaningless spring training baseball games certainly aren't going to proceed. And uh, lo and behold, that was the case, obviously. Now, when we left, we didn't know. uh, I remember leaving Arizona thinking, well, maybe we won't open the season in Seattle. Maybe we'll play it at a neutral site because Seattle was like, you know, the epicenter of COVID at that time. You know, I don't think any of us, when we got on the plane to go back to to Dallas, had any any real idea that it would be months before we would play, and that you know the possibility of not playing was you know going to be a legitimate option. Uh, it, it was pretty soon after that we realized the magnitude of it, but I think we were just learning like everyone else, and so it was definitely weird. You know, April and May months where I'm usually never home, never seeing family or my wife. You know, I'm, I'm like here, and I don't don't know what to do. I don't have anywhere to go. Um, obviously the lack of sports was surreal. And then the return of sports was surreal because it, it included so many elements that were never before part of our sports viewing experience, you know, from the baseball side, it was obviously incredibly odd broadcasting games inside a cavernous new stadium at globe life field with no fans, you know, also just the fact that it was the first year of the ballpark and, you know, it, it didn't really get, debuted ceremoniously uh but you know the biggest oddity was i wasn't even in the same room as my broadcast partners um you know i i had my own booth and my broadcast partner you know for that given night had his own booth uh and you know not seeing the players the coaches front office people not having those face-to-face interactions the -the off-the-cuff conversations i mean that's a big part of our job that's a big part of you know how you develop relationships and, and glean the information that helps separate uh, you know, our level of understanding and information from the fans is so that we can bring them stuff that is interesting to them, that, you know, they're not able to just gather from watching the games on TV. A lot of that was stripped away, obviously doing a lot of stuff on Zoom. And then uh, when the team was on the road, having to broadcast games off of a monitor, which in some ways was not that different, because for me, that's how I practice. I, you know, like any kid or, or even, you know, someone in my shoes you want reps, there's a game on TV, you turn the sound down and you practice. So I had experience broadcasting games off a monitor before, but it's still in, in this circumstance and this environment was definitely different. Uh, and so having to adjust to all that stuff was, uh, was quite the experience. It's not, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's our responsibility to make the best out of whatever the situation is. And it totally made sense why the situation was what it was. We certainly hope that, you know, it's the only year in which that's going to be the case, you know, not being able to travel, uh, not being able to have that time to really learn uh, about people, about the game, to have those conversations. That, that's not only a really enjoyable part, but I think it's an essential part of what allows us to be the best, uh, do the best job that we can. Uh, and, you know, stripped away from us. And hopefully we we're able to get that back. But, you know, obviously, more importantly, we get that back because the world's back in a better place. So, um I think for all sports, 2020 was a broadcasting experience unlike any other. Hopefully 2021 starts to, to gravitate back to the norm. Um, in your life, what opportunities were created because of the stoppage of sports? Well, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, 
one of my so our engineer for the the, the Rangers broadcast got COVID. Um, I don't know whether or not he gave it to one of my broadcast partners, Matt Hicks, but Matt Hicks got COVID, and then Eric Nadell, our other partner, just because of his age, decided to to kind of to to step away, um, you know, for for cautionary reasons. So uh, at that point, I was the last man standing. I, I had tested negative. I you know felt comfortable. I was young. I am young, so I, I didn't feel like I was as uh, as at risk. And so, uh, I guess for me, um, the opportunity, I, I don't really like to use that, that word because I, I just feel wrong that it came at the expense of the health of people that mean a lot to me. But, um, I did get a broadcast Rangers games as the, the primary broadcaster. And it's one of those things where you always hear the cliche of, you never know when you're going to get that opportunity and you better be ready for it. I mean, I never could have predicted that, um, and I did my best to be ready for it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think it, it definitely was something that people were going to notice one way or the other. I either was going to crash and burn and, uh, you know, they were going to notice, man, he just he's he's not ready for that level of growth. Or maybe they were going to say, hey, but, you know, he, he handled that seamlessly. And I don't know what uh, people's opinions of, of that was, but that was definitely a significant opportunity that that otherwise – uh, probably would not have, have been there. You know, doing play-by-play is not unusual, but to be the lead voice, I mean, that's not something I'd ever been in my time with the Rangers because I'm either filling in for Eric or Matt. When I fill in for Eric, Matt's the lead voice. When I fill in for Matt, Eric remains the lead voice. So to be the lead guy was a different experience and um, one that, I, again, I mean, it, I'm not, I'm not going to patronize people and, and ignore the fact that it was an opportunity, but... Um, it's something that I don't necessarily choose to celebrate because again, I mean, even though Matt and Ted and Eric all uh, are okay now and Eric remained healthy throughout, uh, it was not an easy, uh, experience for Matt and Ted. And we were certainly worried about them, uh, at various points throughout it. And so it's tough to enjoy that experience knowing that again, it came at the expense of the health of people, uh, with whom I'm very close. Well, we're very glad they're healthy now. And, um, uh, now you mentioned how you had to be in a different booth than your partner. I think that's a lot of, um, people are different with being spaced out from others. How did that, um, different booth interact with your partner? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, you know, whether people realize this or not, a lot of the chemistry in the moment, the, the, what allows us to feed off one another is the ability to make eye contact and to, to gesture, you know, people can't see that maybe I'm putting my hand up to tell Matt or okay, I got something on this. Don't change the subject. Or, you know, when I'm looking straight ahead at the action, uh, you know, that, that maybe is going to tell them something different than if I'm turning to make eye contact with them, that's telling them, Hey, let's engage on this more. You know, I, I got some thoughts on this. Let's carry on this conversation. Uh, when you don't see, like, not only are we not in the same booth, I couldn't see them. Uh, just because of the structure and the, the architecture of the, the booth. So, um, you know, I didn't have that ability. Uh, and so there's going to be a little more stepping on toes because of it, or maybe not recognizing that my broadcast partner had something to say on a topic uh, when I was the play-by-play guy, and instead I kind of moved on. So there was maybe a little more, hey, you know, back to that, Jared, you are saying earlier, which, you know, typically it's not the, hey, back to that, it's, you know, you're, you're organically and, and appropriately timed 
having those conversations. The other challenge is that until Eric uh, was comfortable coming back, uh, you know, after two weeks of quarantining, the partners I, I had, with the exception of David Murphy, with whom I had worked uh, on the TV side before, I never done play by play. I never had a play by play color dynamic with them. And so uh, you're developing just that general chemistry in addition to the fact that you can't see one another. And then just little things like, uh, you know, talking to them in between innings. Uh, we had the ability to over headset, but like, I didn't know if, if he was going to run to the bathroom. I mean, there were times when, uh, you know, I'd say something and I didn't realize Steve Bouchelle had gone to the bathroom or just simply taking his headset off, you know, just because you, you want to take your headset off for a minute in between innings after a 20 minute, uh, you know, arduous inning. So it's just little things like that, that, you know, I, I again, I hope the listener didn't notice, uh, but certainly in that position, you, you certainly did notice uh, that, uh, you know, that, that you didn't have the same opportunities because you weren't in the same booth. Staying on the Rangers side, what storyline for the Rangers are you most looking forward to this upcoming season? Um, I, I just think, you know, unfortunately, the Rangers are not in a position where you're you're asking yourself the question of, you know, is this the year they win a World Series? Uh, and, and the goal is to get back to that point where they're contenders. That's just not where they are right now. So a lot of the focus this year is on the, the development and the young guys. Uh, and so I think that the storylines um, as – uh, as much as we'd rather them be about, you know, who's the big piece they're going to get at the deadline to put them over the top to, to win a World Series. It's, you know, which of these guys are, are going to be a part of the conversation when the Rangers are, are back in a position to compete? You know, is Leody Tavares the real deal in center field? Uh, you know, is, is Sam Huff going to be able to hit enough at this level? When Josh Young comes up, you know, how good and how ready is he and, and what role can he fill? Uh, will Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, you know, be good enough offensively to be, you know, an everyday player over the course of 162 games? You know, I think that uh, answering those questions are, are going to be important for the organization. And, and I think that process, as long as you have the right expectation going into the season, I think that process can be a really, really enjoyable process uh, because you're going to have young guys who are going to be competing their asses off. You're not going to have as many disgruntled older guys who – uh, you know, their abilities are, are, uh, are, are slipping away and, and they're trying to come to terms with that. And you got the young guys who are knocking on the door, but the, you know, the old guys are playing a game of tug of war, not wanting to give up the rope. Now you got young guys who are going to play their tails off fighting to show that they belong. And I think there's a, an energy and a, and a joy to that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this is not a team that's going to win 90 games. Uh, this is a team that very likely could lose 90 games. And so there are going to be some frustrating moments, some rough games, some rough stretches, some streakiness. And I think as long as you go into the season with the understanding of what this season is, what it's about, and what the realistic expectations are, there's some fun There's some fun that you can draw from it. And I think a lot of that's going to be about the young guys and watching their development. Well, we cannot say how grateful we are for this interview and – um, it's great. And so thank you for joining us, Jared. And we would also like to thank everyone for listening to our first ever interview. If you would like to hear more from Jared Sandler, you can follow him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. He also has his own YouTube channel. So make sure to go give him a listen and subscribe. Can you give us your Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook names for the yeah. people listening? Yeah. So, uh, Facebook is just my name, Jared Sandler. 
Uh, Twitter is Jared Sandler, no space. Instagram is Jared Sandler underscore. Someone, someone nabbed Jared Sandler on Instagram. So I got the Jared Sandler underscore. Well, I know I do follow you on Twitter and you have great insights, um, not just on baseball, but on um, the Cowboys and uh, basketball as the Mavs play tonight. So please make sure um, for the people listening, please make sure to check back in for the future from Outsiders Opinions. We have videos other than this, but we wish everyone a happy holidays.